You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and zero trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their sassy journey, visit netskope.com. Charming Kitten Collects Against Iranian Expatriate Dissidents. The Cyber Safety Review Board reports on lapsus. A call for comment on open source memory safe standards. How NSA is coping with the cyber labor market. Yandex is restructuring. Washington Post's Tim Starks joins us with the latest cybersecurity efforts from the DOD. Our guest is Dan L. Dodson, CEO of Fortified Health Security with insights on protecting patient data and how Viasat was hacked. I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire Intel briefing for Friday, August 11th, 2023. Germany's BFV security service warns that Iran's charming kitten threat group is collecting against Iranian dissidents residing in Germany and elsewhere. Both individuals and organizations are targets. Charming Kitten has been paying particular attention to lawyers, journalists, and human rights activists since late 2022 at least. The campaign is a social engineering effort. Deutsche Welle characterizes Charming Kitten's approach as spear phishing. The Iranian service first builds a target dossier containing an inventory of the subject's interests and connections, then cultivates a relationship of trust with the subject, and finally invites the target to a video chat in the course of which credentials are harvested. The BFV recommends the customary cautions with respect to new and unknown online contacts. For those of you playing threat group bingo at home, Charming Kitten is also known as APT-35, Phosphorus, Newscaster, and the Ajax security team. The U.S. Department of Homeland Security's Cyber Safety Review Board has released the findings of its investigation into the Lapsus Group. The report states... The CSRB found that lapsus and related threat actors use primarily simple techniques like stealing cell phone numbers and phishing employees to gain access to companies and their proprietary data. Among its findings, the board saw a collective failure across organizations to account for the risks associated with using text messaging and voice calls for multi-factor authentication. It calls for organizations to immediately switch to more secure, easy-to-use, passwordless solutions by design. The report adds, To facilitate the transition to passwordless authentication, the board recommends that the federal government develop and promote a secure authentication roadmap for the nation. 
The roadmap should include standards, frameworks, guidance, tools, and technology that can enable organizations to assess, progress, and implement leading practices for passwordless authentication. The Cyber Safety Review Board is a relatively young organization. It's modeled on the long-established National Transportation Safety Board, best known for its investigation of commercial aviation mishaps. The Lapsus investigation is a good example of what might be expected from what seems destined to become an important organization. The White House Office of the National Cyber Director is seeking input from the public and private sectors for comments on open-source software security and memory-safe programming languages in order to develop and implement long-term and sustainable policy solutions. The ONCD offered a clear statement of why it's seeking input. The office explained why open-source software is important, stating, In addition to its many benefits, the ubiquity of open-source software in commercial products, government systems, and military platforms presents unique security risks. For this reason, the White House established the Open Source Software Security Initiative, an interagency working group with the goal of identifying policy solutions and channeling government resources to foster greater open-source software security across the ecosystem. It also articulated three focus areas that need to be addressed. First, increasing the proliferation of memory-safe programming languages. Second, designing implementation requirements for secure, privacy-preserving security attestations. And third, identifying and promoting focused areas for prioritization. Responses are due by 5 p.m. on October 9, 2023. Share your insights with the National Cyber Director. The U.S. National Security Agency is looking at ways to implement hybrid work and other incentives as it undergoes a major hiring surge, Federal News Network reports. NSA Director General Paul Nakasone, speaking at the Center for Strategic and International Studies yesterday, said, We're going to hire probably half of our civilian workforce over the next five years because there was a tremendous demographic change with folks that had been hired in the late 80s that had worked at our agency now becoming retirement eligible. Nakasone said of the agency's Future Ready Workforce Initiative, it's looking at such things as how do we onboard our personnel better? How do we take a look at well-being? How do we do hybrid work? This idea of perhaps some of what we do doesn't always have to be done in a skiff. And then, how do we take a look at our leadership development? Yandex is restructuring. The Russian Google has a corporate parent registered in the Netherlands and listed on the NASDAQ, but that's in the process of changing. The Russian side of the business will be spun off from the parent company, Reuters reports. Yandex had been one of the few Russian companies with realistic global ambitions— but the war against Ukraine has changed that, and the reorganization will effectively recognize that. The company's relationship with the Russian regime is complicated. Arkady Volos, Yandex co-founder and resident in Israel since 2014, holds both Russian and Israeli citizenship. He stepped down from his position as CEO and gave up his seat on the company's board last year, after he was subjected to sanctions by the EU over Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Yesterday, he sharply criticized the special military operation, stating, 
Russia's invasion of Ukraine is barbaric, and I am categorically against it. I am horrified about the fate of people in Ukraine, many of them my personal friends and relatives, whose houses are being bombed every day. Although I moved to Israel in 2014, I have to take my share of responsibility for the country's actions. Why hasn't Russia simply nationalized Yandex? Because, Reuters says, the Kremlin fears the brain drain it expects would follow such a move. The Institute for the Study of War concludes that a crypto-nationalization of the company may be in progress. The objectives are complex, control the domestic information space, reward Putin loyalists by handing assets over to them, and do all this without driving out the tech talent Yandex represents. And finally, Russia's disruption of Viasat in Ukraine during the first days of the special military operation was the only Russian cyber attack that came close to living up to pre-war fears of a digital bolt from the blue. Viasat's vice president and CISO, speaking at Black Hat, gave an account of how that attack was accomplished. CyberScoop reports that it was a more complex operation than has been generally appreciated— It's widely understood that the attack used wiper malware against modems. There was, however, a second phase designed to prevent restoration of service. According to the report in CyberScoop, not only did Russian hackers deploy the wiper malware, they also flooded Viasat servers with requests that quickly overwhelmed their networks. Viasat servers received more than 100,000 requests in a five-minute time span. That meant that any time a modem would get kicked off the network, it couldn't reconnect because the server could not respond. This aspect of the campaign was discovered only later. The attackers not only wanted the satellite comms down, they wanted them to stay down. Coming up after the break, The Washington Post's Tim Starks joins us with the latest cybersecurity efforts from the DOD. Our guest is Dan L. Dodson, CEO of Fortified Health Security, with insights on protecting patient data. Stay with us. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire.
And now a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks and optimizing operational efficiency. With Sixth Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals, confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose Sixth Sense, visit SixthSense.com. Dan Dodson is CEO at Fortified Health Security, a cybersecurity firm focused on protecting the healthcare sector. They recently released their Mid-Year Horizon Report with insights to help healthcare organizations protect patient data and strengthen their security posture. I spoke with Dan Dodson for the details. Yeah, so I think one of the things that caught my eye relative to the reported breaches, we've been looking at this data since 2017, writing the Horizon Report. And over the last couple of years, we've seen an increase in the number of reported breaches that include a business associate. And this year, there was a 273% increase, first half of 23 over the first half of 22. And I think what that really means is that organizations need to continue to invest and focus on third-party risk management, uh, which is a hot topic in cybersecurity right now. And this data just proves the importance of making sure that as we're exchanging data to deliver clinical care, that we're focused on making sure that that's a secure way in and outside of the healthcare uh, hospital. And what sort of specific things do you recommend for organizations to keep on top of their third-party relationships? Yeah, I think the market has largely adopted kind of the legal elements of it, Dave. A lot of organizations have, you know, business associate agreements between the third parties. Um, We've largely adopted that. I think now it's incumbent upon us to take that a step further and really understand the cybersecurity posture of our partners to make sure that we can exchange data securely. So my recommendation is to put in a thorough third-party management program that includes evaluating and understanding risks on the third party's side, so to speak, and then making sure that you understand what compensating controls, if any, that you need to put in place uh, within your own organization so that you can keep the data within the health systems safe and secure and ultimately uh, continue to deliver care. When you look at the data that you've gathered in this report, the what is the trend that you're tracking here? Are, are things getting better? Is it getting worse? Or are we staying the same? What does it look like? Yeah, the data is is showing us that the attacks are intensifying and the success of those attacks is increasing. And so although there are areas where we've made progress, there's still a lot of work that has to be done to be able to uh, turn the tides and lower the number of incidences that are reported. But right now it's on the upswing. You know, a hot topic for a lot of folks these days has been artificial intelligence and tools like chat GPT. Is that having effect on the, the healthcare vertical specifically? Yeah, I think it is, Dave, in a couple of different ways. And we talk about this in the mid-year report. Uh, we also have some experts that are weighing in, uh, former FBI 
as well as other uh, experts. But I think the resounding theme would be that you know generative AI is here to stay, and there's a lot of opportunity for success in a implementation of that type of technology. But we need policies, and we need process, and we need to really understand the use case uh, and how we're going to be feeding data into these models so that we can make sure that the results of it are not only secure, but also accurate. And so I do think that that type of technology is here to stay. You know, we're seeing lots of health systems begin to use this type of technology and experiment on how it can help with identifying, uh, you know, clinical needs within the health uh, system and looking at, at data. We just need to make sure that we're doing it responsibly. And one of the things that the report touches on um is the legislative process. Where do we stand there in, in terms of um, the regulatory regime? Yeah, the regulation around cybersecurity and healthcare, I don't think has ever had as much momentum as it does now. I mean, this really dates back to last fall uh, when Senator Warner came out with a position around cybersecurity really being a patient safety issue. And so where we stand today is there's a number of bills proposed uh, and working through the legislation. But I think the takeaway is that we are moving towards either very strong guidance around cybersecurity and healthcare or potentially a minimal standard, um, which will basically require healthcare organizations to have a specific set of cyber capabilities within their uh, environment. Uh, we should expect those to work through the legislative process in the second half of 23 into 24. And then the second part, which I think is equally as important, is there's a lot of conversations around coupling that guidance or minimal standard with some type of funding mechanism, mm. right? As, a, as an industry, healthcare spends significantly less than other industries on cybersecurity, primarily because the funds within the healthcare environment are competing against clinical priorities as well. And so there, there's a consensus that there needs to be some level of funding very similar to what came out with R and high tech around the digitization of EHRs back uh, in kind of the 2000, mid 2000s. And I think we're going to see some funding and some regulations coming down the pipe. Where do we stand with HIPAA? I mean, do, is there a consensus that um, it's not up to the task of the modern needs? I think to some degree, Dave, it does a job thinking about protecting patients and their information. That said, I think now that healthcare is largely digitized, we need to expand HIPAA to make sure that we're either directly or indirectly, most likely with additional legislation, not necessarily a direct expansion of HIPAA, but we need to take it a step further to safeguard care in these communities, right? I mean, we are seeing healthcare organizations be down for multiple weeks and months. And quite frankly, you know, as one of the, the most powerful nations in the world, we can't afford to not be able to deliver care in our communities because of a cyber event. So I think that there needs to be additional legislation around there to create this type of guidance and standards so that uh, we can reduce the uh, impacts of these attacks. You bring up a, a really good point. And, and as you and I are recording this today, there's a, a healthcare system, I believe in California, that is down. And that leads to patients being redirected to other facilities, which you, know, you can have delay of care. And so we really are talking about potentially putting lives at risk here. Absolutely. You know, I think, you know, four or five years ago, there was a lot of focus around making sure that we had the confidentiality and privacy um, covered. That is certainly important. 
But I think it goes to the next level when we're disrupting care in these communities. I mean, healthcare exists to protect patients, care for them. And when they can't do that because they're very reliant on technology today to deliver care, you know, these types of successful attacks are just devastating to care in these communities and will no doubt uh, lead to adverse effects on the care continuum for patients in those communities. Well, based on the information that you all have gathered here, what are your recommendations, you know, for the cybersecurity professionals who are charged with protecting folks in the healthcare uh, systems, but what sort of things should they be doing? How should they be setting their priorities here? Yeah, I think it starts with a robust risk assessment, Dave, to identify where there are opportunities for improvement. From there, I think it's a prioritization around how do we deploy the limited capital we have for cyber to reduce the most amount of risk, right? And so there's this balance between making sure that we are prioritizing not only on basis of risk, but also where we can impact that risk. And so as we walk clients and health systems through that journey, we identify where we can reduce the most amount of risk. And then kind of second and part and parcel to that is lots of these healthcare organizations have cybersecurity tools implemented in their environments, but they are not operationalized. They are not, there's no people and process consideration around these technologies. And in order to really get the risk reduction that we're all hoping for and working towards, you really have to consider the operational elements of people and process in addition to technology. And that's where we often see uh, organizations fall short. That's Dan Dodson from Fortified Health Security. And it is my pleasure to welcome back to the show Tim Starks. He is the author of the Cybersecurity 202 at the Washington Post. Tim, welcome back. Glad to be back. So it is uh, Black Hat Week, of course, and mm-hmm. uh, I saw in uh, the 202 that you made note of some uh, interesting things that the DOD announced at Black Hat this week. What's going on? Yeah, the the, the first thing that they're that they've announced, and it's the biggest. The biggest thing that they're they're involved in. There's also a secondary thing that they're involved in. Uh, so big week for 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 DARPA, the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, uh, which of course is the is the fascinating uh, high tech shop of the DoD, and credited with partially uh, making the internet become a thing, uh, right? Among other strange, sometimes diabolical inventions. Um, th- in this case, what they've done is they are hosting a competition that they're calling the Artificial uh, Cyber Challenge. Artificial Intelligence Cyber Challenge. Okay. And, and the idea is that they're going to have a competition and invite folk to use AI to uh, counter cyber attacks. Of course, we know that AI has been feared as a thing that will help cyber attacks. This is what they're trying to do here is they're trying to uh, get people to harness its power for, for good. Uh, and they'll be having uh, some prize money. They'll be having competitions going to last over a couple years hmm. uh, before it finally ends up with one big winner. Um, and those, those companies, some of which will be small businesses, uh, we'll be teaming up with with all the big names in, in AI, like OpenAI and uh, uh, Microsoft, Google. So it's a it's a it's kind of an interesting competition. It's a little similar to something they did a few years back, but it's much more explicitly focused on on AI and less on just generalized machine hacking, um, and, and has more uh, more of a, of a prize money and has more of a focus with in terms of working with the companies that are already doing AI. Yeah. 
You know, earlier this week, I, I was talking with Rob Boyce from Accenture, who's uh, at Black Hat, and he was saying how um, how impressed he was with the degree to which the government has a presence there this year, m- more than he'd ever seen before. I mean, I, I guess this program speaks to that. It does, and I, I feel like it's also kind of an, an upward swing since I've been covering cybersecurity and heading out to Black Hat DEFCON week. Um, not not there this week, but but uh, in past years, uh, it felt like the, there's just the steady upward uh, arc of, of 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 the government being at those events. Um, and, and I think what what your what you what you the Accenture fellow said was true. Um, and and it's not the, the interesting thing is that's not even the only announcement this week at at uh, at Black Hat from the government. They're also doing something on open source and memory safe programming language. So. Um, yeah, and that and that's actually a much bigger in terms of the amount of agencies involved. Uh, hmm. That's a bigger project where CISA is involved, where DARPA is again involved, where the Office of Management and Budget. It's it's a it's a it's a wider project, if not a bigger one. What are some of the details about that project? Yeah, so so this is a request for information, which uh, I always struggle to, to describe to readers, but it's essentially a, a public call for, hey, we're looking into this. Give us your insights. Hmm. Um, and and it's a two 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 topics: uh, open source security, which of course has you know been a, been an issue with Log4j and some of the other big is- big big issues we've seen from time to time uh, on the vulnerabilities there. Um, they're also looking at memory safe programming languages, which is you know I think I, I, I last I'd done a check, some people thought that sixty five percent of the bugs uh, that that we deal with these days are related to these languages that are a little a little antiquated. Um, and, and aren't as safe to use. So, so this is a thing that they're going to be asking for people to uh, to talk to them about in the public sector, private sector, uh, up through October 9th, I believe is the exact date. Yeah. Uh, shifting gears a little bit with you here, you know, we are, uh, I guess, close enough now that we can say we're heading into the back-to-school uh Part of the calendar, yeah. As a a father of a son who's heading back to high school, uh, (laughs) I I just got the word that it's time to buy school supplies. Uh, And the White House had an event uh, covering this uh, with relation to cyber attacks. uh, And actually, the the first lady attended. Yeah, there were a lot of people there uh, at the White House for that event. Um, uh, The idea is um, they're trying to put focus on it. They're trying to get commitments from from everyone to devote money or, or projects to this. Uh, back to school is the the one of the worst times for cyber attacks. In fact, um, it, the idea uh, of the hackers is to catch them off guard um, and to to if you're looking at a time when when things are disorganized, people aren't maybe uh, new people are coming into jobs. Back to school is a big time for that. So, uh, a timely event for the White House to do that. Yeah, I, in reading uh, your coverage, and uh, I believe it was your colleague uh, David yeah, uh, Dimofeta who, <laughs> who wrote the article about it. Um, I was surprised, I guess, in that I'd never really thought about it, that uh, school systems don't really have any reporting requirements and that many of them choose to uh, not report when they have a cyber incident. Yeah, that's something that that could change very well, not very soon. Um, there's the there's the law that Congress passed last year to require reporting for critical infrastructure, and because in a roundabout sort of way, schools are part of the the government sector of critical infrastructure, they might be subject to this. But it, hmm. that's that's a regulation that's a, a little ways off in terms of when it will actually be finished. Um, it's a regulation that. Uh, that has not been decided exactly what the parameters will be. Some of that was left up to CISA to decide. 
So they might they might be sub- subject to that in a couple of years, but right now they aren't, and there's no requirement. And and a lot of you know anybody who's a hacking victim in some cases doesn't want to report it. Um, maybe they maybe they, maybe it would be better if they did, but there there's an embarrassment factor, there's a risk factor in terms of legal that maybe they're worrying about. Um, so it's maybe it's not right, but it is a fact of life sometimes that people who are victims don't report. Yeah. All right. Well, Tim Starks is the author of the Cybersecurity 202 at the Washington Post. Tim, thanks so much for taking the time for us today. Thank you so much. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. Be sure to check out this weekend's Research Saturday and my conversation with Alex Delamotte from Sentinel Labs. We're discussing their work, Cloudy with a Chance of Credentials. AWS targeting cred stealer expands to Azure and GCP. That's Research Saturday. Check it out. We'd love to know what you think of this podcast. You can email us at cyberwire at n2k.com. Your feedback helps us ensure we're delivering the information and insights that help keep you a step ahead in the rapidly changing world of cybersecurity. We're privileged that N2K and podcasts like The CyberWire are part of the daily intelligence routine of many of the most influential leaders and operators in the public and private sector, as well as the critical security teams supporting the Fortune 500 and many of the world's preeminent intelligence and law enforcement agencies. N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people. We make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. Learn more at n2k.com. This episode was produced by Liz Irvin and senior producer Jennifer Iben. Our mixer is Trey Hester with original music by Elliot Pelsman. The show was written by our editorial staff. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next week. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. 
Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. Thank you.